Oh right, oh right. Welcome back to another installment of the Drop Pass podcast. Today, my friend, as I promised, we will go back to the 2022 NHL anti-draft and see the results of one of the most unpredictable drafts of the 21st century. Last week was a bit different one where we dwell back into an athlete mindset and, of course, discuss the NHL finals. But this week we are back to our familiar ground and the episode is solely reserved for some NHL talk. And let me tell you, there's going to be a lot of it. Today's episode will cover two of the three main attractions from the offseason and by that I mean the NHL underdraft as well as the trades that have gone down until this very moment. Free agent episode is going to be up next after this week's edition where we will go through all the major free agent signings. And even though I could have fitted in some of those free agent signings to this episode, I wanted to dedicate a sole episode for that whole palooza. Since there are some big name free agents that have changed scenery within the past few days. And I want to give you a complete overlook of the current free agent market. And I feel like it would have been unnecessarily heavy episode to listen to if I had crammed all three topics in the same episode since... There were over 150 free agent signings during the first day already, so you can count on the fact that we are going to digest that entire meal fairly slowly so that we get all the most essential signings out of the way and miss as few as humanely possible. But now that I've laid down the setting for today's episode, we will fire up the intro music and let it just do its thing. Hopefully you are up for the first off-season episode, because... It's going to be heavy on the details. So, without further ado, let's get going. And just like that, we are underway and hopefully you are ready for some draft drama because we certainly had some of that last weekend. First though, before we move to the actual draft itself, We will go through the trades that have gone down so far. And this time around, I'm not going to go too in-depth with these trades since the rosters are still under development. So roles, for example, for these guys will most likely change and therefore I will just make few quick pointers on the outcomes of these deals and break down the components involved in the trades. But overall, we saw few pretty major trades as teams cleared out their cap spaces, so... If you haven't paid any attention or you just want to hear my thoughts on these blockbusters, stay with me and we will tackle those just before we enter the drama phase of the entry draft. So, the first offseason trade saw major pieces moving on June 10th as the Dallas Stars traded their goaltender Ben Bishop to the Buffalo Sabres alongside 7th round pick and in return Buffalo, they got the most sought after asset that any team could get in the National Hockey League, and that is future considerations, aka a handshake. For real though, in this deal Dallas just got rid of Bishop's contract since last time he suited up for them, Mike Modano was still their first line center, so it's been a couple of years since his last game. Well, obviously not that long, but certainly feels like it. And since this was the initial trade to kick off the offseason, it had to be included. But otherwise, there wouldn't have been 
any real reason to mention this so I already apologize if I led you down but that's just how things go on this circus if you are new around here. But I promise you that the next one will surely hold at least one household NHL name so don't shut down your device and throw it into a body of water yet just based on the start of this Amy Schumer caliber comedy act. Okay not as bad as Schumer but I can confess that it's pretty close but oh well hopefully you at least know what to expect. But back to the topic. The first real trade of the offseason concluded between the Habs and the Golden Knights and if you have paid any attention during the last six months on Vegas you might know that they are pretty much in cap hell and this offseason was pretty much reserved for fire extinguishing and the first flames were suffocated as they traded Yevgeny Dadanov to Montreal for Shea Weber's LTIR contract. And just for your information this is not going to be the last deal where the Knights just basically donate a player for another team without any remarkable return since as I mentioned they were over the cap ceiling by a couple modest million to put it gracefully and thus had to let players go just because they couldn't afford to keep them even for the offseason. But we will return to Vegas in just a short moment so hold on to that thought until we get back to their fire department. So Dadanov who got traded to Anaheim but actually didn't and had to return back to Vegas and if you haven't heard this story yet let me tell you a brief explanation. Vegas was in cap trouble once Eichel came back from his injury same as Mark Stone so they tried to make their last ditch effort to dump some money overboard and almost succeeded in it when they announced that they had traded Dadanov to Anaheim for a few movie tickets. And by the way this was the last trade announced during the deadline and it was already in question because of the timetable set for the trade. But nevertheless at that point Dadanov called his agent and asked him hmm gonna have a modified NMC in my contract. To which his agent said yeah at least that I know of. And next on the line was Vegas's front office who told that they thought that the modified NMC ended when he was traded to Ottawa and just like that the whole deal was in question since even a newborn baby knows how to use cap friendly to check players contract situation and it didn't take too long for the league to cancel the whole trade and mark Vegas on the naughty list because that was just embarrassing and humiliating move on so many levels that I wouldn't have been surprised if some disciplinary actions would have followed them but they survived with only a small slap on the wrist and now they have more than Dadanov's contract to worry about in the offseason so now we start to see the results of those boneheaded moves made by their cup ambitious front office. But like I said that is the quick run through of his situation and more Vegas talk is inbound so stay with me if you want to be entertained by their magpie like stands for new shiny objects presented on the league wide level. But when it comes to Dadanov I'm not expecting major numbers from him in Montreal and eventually he might be one of the players heading elsewhere in the midst of the season. Since he has only one year remaining on his contract and if he succeeds in Montreal and the Habs are willing to retain half of his 5 million salary in the best case that might mean a late first round pick depending on his performances so not a bad deal for the Canadians by any means and they certainly didn't lose anything drastic in this deal. 
Following that trade, we saw one of the bigger trades of the young offseason. As the Minnesota Wild traded Kevin Piala to the Los Angeles Kings for their 19th overall pick of the draft, in addition to a prospect defenseman, Brock Faber. Fiala had himself a career year this season and thus gathered a nice return for his services, but the Kings management knew that the Wild was forced to make this move before he became a free agent, since they were in cap trouble because of Parisi's and Suter's buyouts, which most likely dropped the asking price to some extent. On the other side, the Wild kept on adding to their prospect pipeline and as we can see from their current defensive core, the trend is most likely not going to change since, as long as I can remember, they've heavily invested in defense and in this trade, they acquire extremely solid two-way defenseman who is bound for a top four role on the next level and will replace one of their current core members on their back end at some point. Kings have a surplus of right-handed defensemen in their pipeline, so this move doesn't hurt them too badly, and they acquire proven offensive threat to their top six who showed his scoring capability this past season. I'm excited to see what he's able to do with other speedy wingers such as Trevor Moore, who has blossomed in LA, as well as Adrian Kempe, who as well had a coming-out party offensively this past season in the City of Angels. Great deal for both teams. Great assets on the move on both sides. And that's pretty much it when it comes to details of this trade. Then Columbus traded their fourth round pick to Nashville who eventually flipped it to Toronto. And in return the Jackets got a rugged fourth liner Matthew Oliver. But that's the mid of this trade. Next though, the Bolts made a big time move as they traded away their core blue liner Ryan McDonough and in return got some room to their cap space as well as prospect Grant Mishmash and lanky right-handed blue liner Philip Myers. This was a move which enabled the Lightning to try to hold on to Andre Palat whose contract was running out but unfortunately both guys Palat and McDonough ended up leaving so two key pieces were out of Tampa within just few weeks. Nashville bolstered their blue line even more, while the Bolts acquired an unproven second-round pick mishmash, who most likely will top out as a third-line option, while Myers has seen his stock falling during the past couple of years but still holds some value as a depth option on the blue line. At first, this trade might seem fairly one-sided as McDonough has multiple cup rings in his back pocket, and the pieces they gained from his services are still in doubt since at least I haven't seen anything spectacular from either of these two guys. But we'll see what happens especially with Mishmash whose development has somewhat stagnated since getting drafted in the second round. But what makes this trade interesting is the fact that even though McDonough is still one of the best puck eating shutdown defensemen in the league, he's now 33 years old and has still 4 years remaining in his 6.75 million deal, so if you put two and two together, you might anticipate a sudden drop in performance at some point during the next couple of years, since he has a lot of mileage in his engine, and it's just the fact that not only is the age concern here, but all the blocks and hits that have accounted on his body as well. So at some point, he might be up for a buyout, and that's more likely than not, if you ask me. I'm not expecting that to happen already next year, or even the year after, because he certainly will bring his A-game to Smashville and be a reliable shutdown option for the Preds, 
So there are no concerns for the upcoming NHL season, but there is a real risk in this deal, which might come back to bite them in the long term. Overall, decent deal for both teams, since the Preds are trying to compete again next year, and McDonough without questions will add to their back end, but long term, this is a major risk on the contract side, so don't act surprised if you see him in the buyout rumors in just a couple of years, and see Preds fans crucifying their GM in the meantime. Few days later, the Avs kicked their tires for the first time after winning the cup as they acquired one of their missing pieces for the upcoming season from the Rangers by the name of Alexander Georgiev. As anticipated, he had seen his last game in the Big Apple and after a pretty bad year in New York he left to seek for a starting job elsewhere and found that spot in the Mile High City but Will he be able to concrete his place as their number one goalie will stay in the air until proven otherwise? The Avs were not going to re-sign Kemper and had already locked up Francis, so they had to search through the free agent market to find their second option in goal and eventually found a promising Russian netminder who has had up and down seasons in New York and has been surrounded by trade rumors ever since Chesterkin's emergence but many still believe that he has some untapped potential which could blossom with a change of scenery. He gets a great opportunity to prove his value next year, since as I said, he has showed promise in New York, but since he's always been the second option, behind first Henrik Lundqvist and then Shesterkin, he's had a limited opportunities to prove his real value, but now that is ahead of him, so at least I'm eager to see where his real ceiling ends up being. But if he doesn't pan out, Francis is going to be more than capable 1B option, who has shined in the absence of Kemper and can hold his own inside the blue paint. The Rangers got in return this year's third and fifth round picks, in addition to next year's third rounder, so the return probably came to be a little less than what could have been expected because of Georgia's RFA status. He ended up inking three-year deal with the Avs and as said is expected to take the crease in Colorado, so if the expectations were high in the Big Apple, just imagine being the new starter for the new West Stanley Cup champ. Yeah. Big expectations for his debut in Colorado, and I'm eager to see if he's able to finally grab a stable starting job on the NHL ice. Next up was the biggest blockbuster trade of the offseason thus far, as the Blackhawks continued their fire sale when they shipped off Alex Debringa to the Ottawa Senators, and in return gathered first and second round picks for this year's draft, in addition to 2024 third round selection. And if you wonder how on earth the Sens didn't lose more than one first rounder in this trade. And the answer is, because to bring it will be an RFA next summer, so they are looking down the barrel when it comes to Cat's next big payday. The first rounder was of course a lottery pick, so that increased the value quite a bit, but Still, when compared to the Z Jones trade, the return wasn't even close to that, but this shows you that not every GM is willing to make stupid trades based on just name value. And I'm not saying that Debringet has been riding Showtime's coattail, but you gotta remember that he ain't playing with him in Ottawa, so we can expect a huge point total straight from the get-go. This was Ottawa's first big move regarding jumping out of the rebuild train, and certainly Cat will boost their offensive numbers alongside young top six names, Norris, Patterson, Kachuk, Stutle, and many others. Just wait for the free agent episode. 
he should fit well within that young core and will most certainly add some offensive numbers for the Sens, who are now clearly moving away from the rebuild status and betting on their success already next season. It's not certain that he resigns in Ottawa, but if the young core is able to show solid progress next year, there shouldn't be any doubt about his return to nation's capital, if the signs show promise for the future in Ottawa. At least I was surprised to see him leave Chicago since many had speculated about him being their next captain, but seemingly the new front office had decided that the rebuild was going to be a complete one, and wanted to acquire the best assets possible to complete that change, so Cat ended up on the table, so to speak. And now the only remaining pieces left in Chicago are pretty much Taves and Kane, who as well could be on the move on the deadline at the latest. Patty Kane at least is fairly sure in one according to rumors. But overall it's going to be a miserable future for the Hawks nation until the rebuild is over and that unfortunately is the price you have to pay for multiple cup rings. And pretty much at this stage the only option to get back to that level is through drafting and they are already underway so that should at least ease the pain to some extent. Great deal for the Saints, and this marks the moment when the organization decided to change their gear and start to focus on measurable results rather than floating around the mid-table and not seeing any postseason action at any point. That might not happen already next year, but the pieces start to be there to make that happen. But don't give up on this franchise if they don't make the playoffs already next year. And after that trade, we take a small step back in the asset side, but that doesn't mean that it is going to be a minor trade by any means since the Montreal Canadiens traded their former second round pick and one of my favorite Habs, Alexander Romanov, to the Islanders alongside their fourth round pick. And in return they acquired the 13th pick of this year's draft, which they eventually flipped, but I'll get to that in a second, so just hold on for a moment. It was one of the more surprising trades of the day, and it left me scratching my head when it was announced, because they already had two first round picks, and now they acquired third one, so at first I didn't get why they made this trade, since Romanov has been a solid defensive minded option for their blue line for two straight seasons now. While well, now the Isles added another physical piece to their back end, who will most likely replace Jara on their top four and slot alongside either Ryan Pulock or Noah Dobson or even Scott Mayfield. So the shutdown ability from that blue line ain't going nowhere by the looks of it. Like I said, I loved it when the Habs picked Romanov in 2018, and his mean physical playstyle has left a mark on me, but seemingly the Habs front office looked at their pipeline and noticed that they had a few upcoming left-handed blue liners who would most likely suit that same mold and were willing to ship him elsewhere in order to gather other assets to their lineup. There's also the option that Romanov's team and the Habs management were not on the same page when it came to his extension, and that affected the outcome, but since I don't know all the details behind this trade, it will stay a speculation for now, and we probably are not going to hear the backstory to this event anytime soon, so let's leave it at that. But nevertheless, I didn't want to lose this young blue liner from our back end, but at the same time, I'm excited to see what the return will eventually be, as we move to the trade that probably accelerated this one, once all parties were on the same page when it came down to chips on the table. Since moments later, Chicago surfaced again from its dungeon and announced a trade involving that exact draft pick, 
that the Habs just had acquired alongside Habs third rounder and in return to Montreal was headed former third overall pick right-handed playmaker Kirby Doc. Yep, didn't see that one coming. Of course, I was aware of the trade rumors surrounding him because of his struggles in Chicago, mostly affected by his injuries and subpar line mates, but didn't expect Montreal to be one of the teams interested in his services, but now he's in town alongside many other exciting young phenoms. So hopefully Martin St. Louis is able to boost his projection like he did with Caulfield. And we have our two-headed center monster of Nick Suzuki and Kirby Doc. Of course that's still quite a ways away, but there is promise, let me tell you that. We've seen few glimpses of his skill set on the NHL ice, but injuries have really backpedaled his development in the Windy City, so now the hope is that he will stay healthy and get enough ice time to get his confidence back and start to blossom on the NHL ice with the young Canadiens team. The return for the Hawks wasn't too drastic, especially given the fact that the Habs still had their first overall pick, plus the one they got from Calgary, so this was expendable, and in my mind it was put into good use as they try to get Doc's career back on track, and in the best case, he becomes the pass first option alongside Caulfield, and they will wreak havoc in the Eastern Conference since Doc has a very high skill set, great frame, and is good skater for his size. So to me, the only thing missing for him is the confidence factor, and if St. Louis alongside his buddy like Cavalier are able to get that back on track, the outcome could be scary, especially when you look at the other guys coming up their ranks alongside these guys mentioned here. Not complete home run by any means, lots of work needs to be done, but signs are still great and I'm excited to see how these young guns perform now that they've signed their new head coach for the next few upcoming years. After that trade, the pace died down a bit and we saw a few trades that involved only picks, so we are not going to go into those yet and rather take into consideration the next move that saw actual player and that was Peter Mrazek. The Leafs traded Mrazek's contract to Chicago alongside their first round pick number 25 and in return they got Chicago's second round pick pick number 38 so pretty bland trade overall but we knew that the Leafs had to make some room to their cap space and the Hawks had announced their availability as a wastebasket so no harm done on either side but it is what it is. The Oilers had noticed how easy it was to dump some cap on other teams laps so they had decided to join the party and ship Jack Cassian's contract to guess who. No, not Chicago this time, but the other team that has been eating shit for the past three to four years. No, not Buffalo, but good guess though, but I'm meaning the Yotes. Alongside Cassian they traded away their this year's 29th overall pick 2024 third and 2025 second round picks and in return from Arizona they got the 32nd overall pick so in this case it came to be a bit more expensive to unload his contract elsewhere but if they want to make some room and stay competitive in the west this was one of the moves you had to make thanks to Jerry Ellis great GM skills and both first round picks are late ones so it's a bit of a crapshoot to try to predict the future outlook for these guys getting drafted. The Yotes gathered two more picks for the future drafts and they've done a great job in regards of draft picks so you could say that the trend continued and those picks may become useful if they need to increase their spots in the draft order. But not a major trade by any means, 
just one that had to be made and the outcome of that trade can be seen in few years so it's unnecessary to start to consider winners or losers regarding these two previous trades. The next day it was Steve Eiserman's turn to start making moves and what better way to do that than by trading for your starting netminer. Well if he doesn't become their starter at least a very capable 1B option and his name is Ville Husso. So the Wings acquired partner for Alex Nedeljkovic in their crease and gave up their third round pick in the process. The pace came down in the playoffs but still he showed enough promise for Stevie White to call Armstrong and make the deal so pretty good deal at least for the Wings in my opinion when looking at Husso's numbers from last season. Once again RFA status traded and since we don't know how the contract negotiations have gone down in St. Louis and what their vision was going to be for the next few years regarding their goaltenders. I'm not going to make huge assumptions, but I would guess that their management has seen the strides that Joel Hofer has been making in the AHL and believe that he will be their backup behind Binnington, who fortunately had a bounce back in the playoffs. Annie Fuso was looking for more money than what they were willing to give. This trade starts to make a lot of sense for both sides and now the Wings have two relatively young goaltenders who both have flashed their possible high-end ceilings as starters and the competitive setting will most likely drive both guys onward so I'm very eager to see how the situation will evolve in Detroit. Great opportunity for Husso and hopefully now he's able to grab the starting job and become the next big finish starter on the next level. And since goaltender Carousel had now officially started, others joined to the party and next on the line was going to be Washington Capitals, who traded away their netminder Vitek Vanecek alongside their second round pick for this year's draft and got in return from Jersey their second and third round picks. At this point the Cavs management had decided that both of their netminders would be gone before the next season and that they would start from a clean slate when it came to goalies. And so Vanecek was the first one out as he headed to back up Mackenzie Blackwood or Nico Dawes or Jonathan Bernier or Akira Schmid. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm referring to the previous season where they dressed seven different goalies and thus the long name list. But it plans to be either their starter if all goes above expectations or in the worst case be the 1B option behind Blackwood as I mentioned. The inconsistency has been his weakness during the past couple of years and the Devils are hoping to receive the 2020-2021 version who took the starting job from Samsonov but at this point no one can predict the outcome when it comes to their crease presence. Both teams used those picks wisely in my mind and hopefully the Devils got a goaltender in this deal who will be able to play more than 18 games in the regular season so once again not a bad deal for either side. Caps dodged the contract negotiation phase and for that earned few picks while the Devils acquired a fringe starter alongside mid-second round picks so not bad on that front either. And if the Philadelphia Flyers don't make any moves during the early part of the offseason, has it really even began is my question. Because once again they made some waves as they traded for Carolina's last year's number one point producer from the blue line. Tony D'Angelo alongside 7th round pick from this year's draft while 2022 4th rounder 2023 conditional 3rd and 2024 2nd went the other way 
And once again, D'Angelo was unsigned by the time this trade was made. So pretty much the players just gained his signing rights. But I think you've learned the pattern here already. And I mean, for some odd reason, I just have a bad feeling about this since Philly hasn't really been the best place for players to play during the past couple of years and knowing his background I just have a small feeling that something is going to go sideways here but I don't want to jinx anything with these words just yet. If he keeps his level from this past year he will be a tremendous offensive addition to the Flyers blue line especially if Ryan Ellis is still going to miss time due to his injury but once again I need to remind you that the defense has been their weakest area for years now and he doesn't really bring much defensively, so I can only guess that the other changes are inbound to fix that massive hole from their game. Nevertheless, at least they didn't have to give up first-rounders for his services, but knowing Carolina's draft acumen, they are going to find steals with those picks, so most likely they are going to laugh at their faces while drafting few studs in the upcoming drafts. So overall, I'm not going to cut off Philly just based on D'Angelo's reputation added to currently struggling franchise, but the red flags are present and in the best case he continues where he just left off. And either the Flyers are going to benefit from his offensive contributions or in a deal that sees him going elsewhere, but that is another topic on its own and we will cross it once it comes closer, so pretty boom or bust type of deal if you ask me. And after that trade, it was time for the usual pick exchange between teams and we are not going to go over those in this episode. So the last deal that went through during the second day saw the San Jose Sharks and the Nashville Predators exchanging their pieces as John Leonard alongside San Jose's 2023 third round pick went to Nashville while Luke Kunin headed to California. And once again, both guys are RFA so extensions are bound for both guys in their new destinations. Leonard has been an energetic depth option for the Sharks for a couple of years now and I don't think that the team has expected anything else from him. While the former 15th overall pick Kunin has been disappointing on the NHL level and is now entering his third team of his professional career while still trying to find one more gear to his offense. Once again, not a major trade by any means and I'm not expecting to see major changes in regards of their point totals. But if teams saw something that they liked in these guys, I don't think their situations could get any worse. So best of luck for both guys in their new teams. Then a few days later, as the free agency opened up, the goalie carousel picked up the tempo once again. As Toronto, Ottawa and Minnesota exchanged goaltenders. Matt Murray with retained salary from Ottawa to Toronto in exchange for future considerations. And then Ottawa and Minnesota swapped Philip Gustafsson and Cam Talbot one for one. So I guess everyone was happy with what they got in these two deals. And if you are scratching your head because of Toronto's decision to take Murray out of Ottawa's hands, you are not the only one, buddy, because I can't really wrap my head around it either. To be straight... He's been god-awful since signing his deal with the Sens and even though he improved his numbers last season after the All-Star break and looked decent in those few starts he was able to play, still he's only been a shadow from his previous cup winning self and the Leafs are heavily investing in his comeback so that might end up biting them in the ass with that 4.687 annual cap hit. This is one of those deals where... If I completely butcher his future with the Leafs, he will perform better than anyone could expect, but 
if I don't say anything and just let this thing roll with its own pace, he's just going to flop big time and Dubas has to try to pull a rabbit out of his hat to get that deal off the books. So for now, I'm just going to leave it at that and just say that I'm really not convinced about this deal and have serious doubts about investing in this piece of former glory. When it comes to the swap deal between Gustafsson and Talbot, I don't have much to say about that deal because Gustafsson still has to prove his worth in the NHL level. I'm expecting him to become a good backup slash fringe starter on the next level and even though he hasn't recorded magic numbers for the Sens thus far, he could improve his numbers in an environment which focuses on defensive end more than Ottawa has done to this point. So he could surprise people and take few more starts from Flurry, but I'm not expecting him to rob the starting job from Flower, but more so gain experience from the veteran netminder and ease his load during the regular season. On the other hand, Talbot will take the crease in his new hometown and establish a fairly steady partnership with Anton Forsberg, who increased his numbers drastically last year, but I wouldn't expect any lengthy playoff runs from this duo if the Sens are able to clinch a playoff spot from the East. Talbot is still very capable starter in the NHL and the only downsides are his age and the fact that he really hasn't shined in the playoffs, but since it pretty much is Ottawa's first real year trying to compete again, they probably didn't acquire him thinking that they were going to the finals with this score, so shouldn't be a problem for this team until that really becomes a real target for them. The next day the Devils were at it once again and this time it was time for an old school one for one trade which saw Pavel Saka going to Boston in exchange for B's offseason signing Eric Haula. This was one of those trades where the other team hopes to light up something in a player that has flashed their possible upside during previous seasons but hasn't had the consistency to do so while the other team gains a bit lower ceiling player but who has solidified their spot in an NHL roster. And when looking at these two names, I guess you can recognize which description fits which player. By no means, Haula had a bad season in Boston but the second line role just ended up being a bit too demanding offensively for him. And now the Bruins are trying to solve that issue with Saka if Krejci doesn't make his comeback to the NHL ice. Last year was his best offensively as he recorded 36 points in 70 games, so the Bees are heavily relying on his point total increasing as it has been for the past few seasons, but I'm just not completely sold on his upside since we saw a lot of stagnation in his game in Jersey, and there's a real risk when it comes to him flopping in Boston if he doesn't catch fire right from the get-go. Howell, on the other hand, will bolster the Devil's center spot behind Hughes and his share and will most likely benefit from the role decrease. But when it comes to Bruins, this was a major gamble where the stakes are fairly high on both sides of the coin. Will this gamble pay off? We wait to see, but at least Chaka gets a fresh start in a new environment. So hopefully he's able to change the tide when it comes to his ceiling as a former lottery pick. Next, it was yet again Arizona's turn to eat some cap and this time the trade partner ended up being the Rangers, who had considered buying out Patrick Nemeth's contract but the Yotes announced that they would be willing to eat his salary and thus earn 2024 conditional third and 2025 second rounders in the process and only gave up former third round pick Ty Emerson to the other side. Emberson will most likely top out as a bottom pairing defenseman on the next level and had himself a pretty miserable first season in the A, so the hope is that he's able to improve his numbers next season, but overall 
This deal didn't cause any major waves, but yet again, the Yotes gained few more draft picks for the future drafts, so I guess you can count this as a W for them. But then we had two last deals of the day, and the first one shocked few fans when it was announced since the Wildman California's own Chewbacca, Brent Burns, was on the move, believe it or not. The Sharks retained 34% of his salary, which was anticipated, and alongside him to Carolina went Lane Peterson, who has one of the worst analytical footprints in the NHL ever, and will most likely get buried in the A, so no worries with that contract. To California were headed the forward Steven Lawrence, goaltending prospect Etu McKinney, and a conditional 2023 third rounder, so I'ma let you tell me if that was an overpayment for a 37-year-old offensive blue liner earning $5.28 million per season for the next three years. Once again, it's a big gamble, there's no question about that, and I would be interested to hear why they didn't extend D'Angelo and decided to make a trade to replace him, since at least to me, the risk is way bigger with Burns than it is with D'Angelo. While both guys are very similar to each other, where defense is not their strong suit, but both guys can put up good numbers offensively, and the only difference being Burns' age, which is very worrisome, at least for me. Other assets will measure themselves in the future, but once again the gambling men are on the table, and I will stay the wait and see what the outcome will be with this trade, since some have called Burns' contract unmovable, but at least that got debunked this week, so there might be other big moves lurking in the shadows as well. After that somewhat blockbuster trade, it was time for the Sens to be on the block again, as they traded their winger Connor Brown to Washington Capitals for a 2024 second-round pick. And as we can see from this move, the Caps haven't given up yet, but if the team has been battling with injuries during the past few years, they probably should have taken a look at Brown's injury history, and they probably would have seen that this guy has missed some time because of injuries as well, but I guess that is not their priority number one, two or even three, but you can't say that I didn't mention this. He will be a good versatile piece for their top nine, who can play on all situations, and is capable of scoring 30 points per season, and the cap hit ain't too bad either, so good deal once again for both teams. Brown has stated that he needed a change of scenery, and has been around the train rumors for a couple of years now, so now he gets his chance to freshen up his future, while the Zens grab another pick to their vault. And the last deal that we currently know of concluded between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Carolina Hurricanes. And the pieces on the move included Max Pacioretty, Dylan Coughlin, and future considerations. Yeah, no one going back to Vegas. Are you getting flashbacks to last offseason where the Knights gifted Marc-Andre Fleury to the Blackhawks? Because I certainly got one. It has to be said that their cap management has been one of the worst in the league by far, and these two very similar moves just confirmed that, because I don't know many other moves that have seen star players changing teams where the return for them has just been a box of rocks. I was blown away when this trade was announced, and it shouldn't be too hard to make out the big winner from this trade, as even though Pacioretty has been fighting with injuries during the past few seasons, He's still one of the elite goal scorers in the NHL and will without a doubt put the puck in the net again next season in their top six. 
The Knights have been forced to pay the stupid tax for going after new shiny players each year. And if the struggles continue during the upcoming season, they might be facing a bit of a challenge with fairly droughted prospect pipeline and tight cap situation as a whole. So at least I'm interested to see what the future holds for them after heavily investing in their Stanley Cup odds straight from the expansion draft. They still have competitive squad that will most likely battle for a playoff spot in the West, but they are currently flirting with the edge with these types of moves. Since, as I said, they haven't invested in their future because they try to compete now and in result of that, they've traded away all of their first round picks from 2017 to 2019 and thus are standing on thin ice when it comes to their future top prospects. I'm eager to see how this affects their next season's performances. They lose one of their best goal scorers from their roster, so the pressure on Jack Eichel grows even more after this move and he has to find the back of the net or the Knights might be in trouble, not later than next year. But those were all the major trades we've seen during the past couple of weeks, and I'm quite sure that that's not all the moves we are going to see this offseason, since few teams are still facing quite tough cap situations and need to sign their restricted free agents, so expect to see few more moves in the coming weeks. Now though, we continue to the last part of this episode and check out the results of the highly dramatic 2022 entry draft, so buckle up for some prospect talk. We are about to jump to the deep end. So, remember when I mentioned Bob McKenzie's prediction regarding the first overall pick of this draft class? Well, he ended up being right once again, so the streak continues and if you have lived under the rock, the setting for this draft was as follows. Shane Wright, unanimous first overall pick since his OHL draft. And the only reasonable competitor, Brad Lambert, had plummeted down the rankings, so this seemed to be his draft to lose. Later this year, though, Slovakian power forward Juraslavkovsky had climbed the rankings because of a sovereign showing in both the Olympics as well as men's world championships. And the rumors quickly started to spread about him dethroning Wright from the first overall spot, while some stirred the pot by throwing in names Nemec and Cooley, but really Slavkovsky and Wright were considered as the real top two. Well, eventually the draft day came and most fans were still believing that the Habs were going to draft a right-handed center despite many rumors, but when Ken Hughes and his staff walked to the stage of the Bell Center, the first name called ended up being the Slovakian beast Slavkovsky. And next on the clock was going to be the New Jersey Devils, who already had a strong 1-2 punch at the center spot. So at this point, many were thinking that he would be falling to Arizona, since there were great defensemen in this class, which might intrigue Devils front office. That was exactly the case, and while Slavkovsky became the first Slovakian ever to get drafted first overall, second overall pick Simon Nemec made sure that this feat was not going to be repeated in one or two years, as the top two of this draft consisted of two Slovakian prospects, which is remarkable on so many levels. So the third overall pick belonged to Arizona, and at this point I could only imagine them drafting either Cooley or Wright, and I was more leaning on Wright to complete the top three, but guess what? It was time for Logan Cooley to walk on stage, and put on the Kachina because seemingly there were no jersey reservations under the name Wright, and thus the consolidated first overall pick was bounced from the top three 
and finally got his name called fourth overall by Seattle. But this was a major surprise to so many fans and I can confess that I couldn't have seen this in my wildest dreams. And just to be clear, the surprising thing here is not the fact that he didn't get picked first overall, but the reality of him dropping to fourth overall and heading to Seattle. Clearly there was something that scared away so many teams. Hopefully at some point we get to hear what that was. But the funny thing here is that when he walked on stage and put the Kraken jersey on, he immediately stared down the Habs draft table and walked off glancing at them with dead stare in his eyes. And after all the necessary procedures were over on stage, he gave an interview where he said that from this moment on, he was going to carry a chip on his shoulder and that he was going to make the other teams that passed on him regret their decision. So expect him to make some noise already next year if he ends up playing for the Kraken in his new home. But this is quite a double-edged sword to me since if he would have taken that approach to this year and blown out the OHL with his results, there probably wouldn't have been a debate about the first overall pick. But to some extent, I have a feeling that since he was considered as the home run first overall pick for so long, he got content, which affected his results in the O this year and eventually led him being knocked out of the top three of this draft. Nevertheless, I think the Kraken management couldn't be much happier since now they got two great centers in the pipeline to build upon. Matthew Peniers is going to suit up for them already next season and Wright most likely will at least get a short stint up top. So there's a pretty good chance that these two will be their number one and two in the middle of the ice for years to come. But that was the biggest drama source from the last weekend, so now that that's out of the way, let's move to the actual picks and go through some highlight picks as well, or at least the ones that I picked out from the rest during the two days of drafting. And since I've made a breakdown episode on most of the guys drafted in the first round, I'm not going to go too deep into their projection, etc. So I'm going to keep it pretty short and save time and resources, but expect to hear some analysis on these guys now that we've received information regarding their next teams on the NHL level. So, Slavkovsky goes first overall to my Canadians, and I'm pretty stoked about this pick since he was tremendous in all national competitions and he will slot nicely in their first line with Suzuki and Caulfield in the future. So I'm not complaining about this pick and more so am waiting for his debut in the red, white and blue already next fall. The Devils took right-handed defenseman Simon Nemec second overall, and now they got pretty strong right side coming up from the youth ranks. And Nemec will eventually slot in their first pairing, while strong showing in the men's world championships ensured his spot in the top three, where the Devils were looking to add a big name to their blue line alongside their other youth brother, Luke, in which they succeeded in, and their roster is coming up pretty nicely so. I'm excited for their future with names such as Hughes times 2, Mercer, Nemec, Hishir, Brad, Smith, Holtz, Stillman, and Mukamadulin. Great core coming together, so keep your eyes on this team already next season. Next, the Oats selected the top American Logan Cooley, third overall, and what can I say about this pick? Rather than another great addition to their center spot. He's a player who will most likely rack up great numbers for the Desert Dogs, and likewise, their core is starting to slowly take its shape, so one can only hope that they can turn around their rebuild in a few years and we can really get to see what these youngsters are capable of when competing against the best of the best in the NHL. 
Right went fourth overall, as I said, and with the fifth selection, the Flyers selected big scoring forward Cutter Gauthier, who they will start to groom as their next top six center, so could have done worse as the last team in the top five, if you ask me. Columbus was up next, and they drafted their right-handed blue liner with their sixth overall pick. As the Czech native, David Jiricek stepped onto the stage to put on his jersey and smile for the cameras, alongside Blue Jackets' front office. Very decent pick for them since their forward prospects are coming up nicely and thus they were willing to take a flyer on this big body blue liner whose upside is somewhere in the top 4 region and they would hope that they found the partner for Wierenski on their blue line because at least on paper that could be the case if all goes to plan. Ottawa gave up their 7th overall pick in the Debringet trade so next up was Chicago's turn to draft their first prospect of this draft. And they used that turn to pick the left-handed blue liner Kevin Korczynski. And I mean, even though he has lots of ground to cover before stepping into a stable NHL role, he has all the tools to become a very effective two-way blue liner. And Chicago is in need of those now that their rebuild is finally underway. So great pick for them as well with their first lottery pick. Detroit was selecting 8th overall. And if you paid any attention to Stevie Wise draft picks in recent years, you could expect a bit out of left field pick from him, and that was exactly the case as they drafted the Austrian two-way center Marco Kasper, 8th overall. And if the team drafting him was any other franchise besides Detroit, I would question their decision, but since I know Iserman's draft record in the draft table, I don't have anything bad to say about this pick, and the only thing I'm expecting at this point from Casper is that he turns into a top 6 forward who will surprise us with his offensive abilities, which many have questioned coming into this draft. Seemingly, they saw something that others didn't, and once again Iser plan is in full effect, so we stay to see how he's able to make this pick flourish before making his move to the NHL ice. Buffalo was the next team on the clock, and finally as the ninth overall pick, they took the highly touted WHL forward Matthew Savoie, and let me tell you, this guy has all the tools to become one of the steals of this draft class. The right-handed shifty center is all about offense, but if the team isn't able to groom him in the right direction, this could become one of their wasted top 10 picks, even though I'm still not willing to label, for example, Middlestad and Cousins as busts yet. So there's a certain risk in this scenario, but when looking at Savua's kill set, you would believe that he will become their top 6 option in no time, as he bulks up and lights up the dub in the process. Size is another concern, but with his skating and puck skills, I wouldn't worry about that detail before it really becomes a concern against men. Anaheim is the last team in the top 10, and they used their draft pick to select a Russian blue liner, Pavel Minchukov, who was the best point getter amongst rookie defensemen in the OHL, and possesses great two-way ability on the side as well, so not a reach at the 10th spot by any means. Great size, good puck distribution skills, and above average skating allows him to most likely slot alongside Jamie Drysdale on their blue line. Since they already have stacked forward pipeline and overall, it was wise decision to take a highly touted defensive prospect because of it. The Yotes traded up in the draft ranking and shipped to San Jose picks number 27, 34 and 45 to gain the 11th overall pick, which they used to draft the giant centerman out of Winnipeg, Connor Geeky. And this was one of the picks that I didn't like that much inside the top 15 since there are serious concerns about this skating, especially when moving to the next level. 
And as we've seen with his brother Morgan, he hasn't been able to break into Seattle's or Carolina's top nine, much because of his subpar skating ability, even though puck skills and especially shooting have been his strong suits since getting drafted. Giki is a tremendous goal scorer who brings a physical element onto the ice each time he gets into the action, but in my mind there would have been other options to pick at this spot, especially when you give up three picks for this one, so wasn't a huge fan when this pick was announced, but we'll see if he's able to improve his skating even more next season, because certainly he has all the other tools ready to become an NHL forward for the Desert Dogs. Then Columbus picked another defenseman to their backline with their 12th overall pick. As Moose Jaws, Denton Matejak step onto the stage. High risk, high reward pick. I like the balls on Gekalainen to go after this offensive-minded blue liner, who has clear deficiencies in his game, but with right coaching could turn into a very prolific offensive blue liner on the next level. Then yet again, it was Chicago's time to draft with the pick they acquired in the Kirby Dock trade, and with that pick, they selected centerman. Frank Nazar, 13th overall. Very solid pick in my opinion. Speed, skill and goal scoring prowess is the package they got, so could have done a lot worse and hopefully replaces Duck in their depth chart in the coming years. And as we see what the other teams were able to select after Geeky, it makes me regret the Yotes pick even more, so hopefully he pans out in the long run for the Yotes. Rutger McCrory was selected 14th overall by the Winnipeg Jets and right after the Canucks started to fill their Swedish quota by drafting Jonathan Lekkerimäki 15th overall. Both are very solid picks, the Knocks get another scoring winger to their ranks, while some questions still remain on McCrory's part which most likely saw him dropping in the rankings ahead of the D-Day. With their second first round selection the Sabres took Lekkerimäki centerman from the U18s, Noah Eslund, and quite frankly, I wouldn't have been surprised if he would have gone earlier, but now the Sabres as well are starting to build up their sweet quota, and more so filling up that center spot, and by the looks of it, their strategy during the past few years has been to draft centers and then eventually turn them into wingers, which might not be the smartest thing to do, but on the hindsight at least you have depth to spare on the center ice, so someone at least would say that you could have bigger problems on the prospect front. With the 17th overall pick, the Preds acquired one of the steals of this draft as the Finnish goalscorer Joachim Kimmel fell to their lap. And unfortunately, right away as I saw that, I thought of the other somewhat failed Preds experiment with Finnish goalscorer, so I can only hope that the history doesn't repeat itself and he's able to break into their top six and light up the lamp as they expected to happen with the former first round selection. Dallas was up next and they made the first real reach of the first round as they drafted huge left-handed blue liner Liam Bichel, 18th overall. And I don't mean to say that this guy is going to be a bust, especially when seeing Dallas's last few draft results and how their selections have turned out, but at least I wasn't expecting Bichel to go this early in the first round. The frame is there to become a stable two-way defenseman in their top four, but serious grooming is needed for that to happen so we stay to witness if the same path is upon him than their previous first round picks from the past two years. Check the stats, pretty underrated guys in my opinion. Minnesota was selecting next thanks to Kevin Fiala trade and with their 19th overall pick they took another Swede by the name of Liam Ögren. Solid top 6 option most likely for them, good defensive skills and strong skating so 
a solid pick at the back half of the draft, so let's leave it at that. Washington was up next, and if you know the right-handed Russian winger playing for them and know what he's been able to accomplish, you probably know what to expect from their this year's draft pick. Ivan Mirosinchenko was their pick, who fills all the boxes mentioned just before, so in short, big body, great shot, and great skater is what they got, and even though we can't expect similar merits to Ovi, I'm at least excited to see how he develops in their system since he is one of the best goal scorers of this draft class. The Penguins were on the clock next and they took home one of the wild cards of this first round by the name of Owen Pickering. One of the demons that many GMs eyed on before the draft fell to their lap and his huge frame and untapped potential drove them drafting this offensive-minded blue liner and hopefully he's able to get his defensive game in check and becomes the defenseman that the Pens were hoping to receive from P.O. Joseph when they drafted him in the first round a couple years back. Then it was time for another Ducks pick, and this time they took right-handed power forward Nathan Gaucher to their organization. Decent pick which I would have anticipated to fall to the second round, but seemingly the Ducks wanted to acquire a pretty surefire top 9 option to their prospect pool, who has nasty edge to his game and is able to score goals, and that is exactly what they got so... Pretty good pick, but in my opinion, better upside players were on offer at this stage of the draft, so could have done better, if you ask me. With the 23rd pick of the draft, the St. Louis took one of the guys that fell down the rankings that day, and his name is Jimmy Snuggerud. I had anticipated that he would go somewhere before the 20th pick, but he fell more than I had expected. But I'm sure that the Blues are not angry about it one bit, since the versatile scoring forward with good frame is going to bring them joy offensively. I can already promise you that. Following him, the next name on the board was Russian Danila Yurov, who was selected by the Minnesota Wild. Another great pick in my opinion by Bill Guerin and to be honest, has the potential to become one of the bigger steals of this draft. Just like Snuggerud, he was one of the guys that fell down the ranking more than I had anticipated, and maybe in this case there was the Russian factor, but when looking at his numbers and upside, I think the selection will pay off in few years when he makes his jump onto the NHL ice with the Wild. At 25, the Chicago Blackhawks were on the clock once again, thanks to Peter Mrazek's trade. And this time they went bit off the board as they selected lanky right-handed blue liner out of USHL, and his name is Samarin Zell. Thanks to two previous selections in the first round, the Hawks were able to take a small gamble with this pick, and since Rinzel is looking to go back to Waterloo for the next season to hone out his game more before making his jump to NCAA. So it will take some time before we see this guy on the NHL ice, but at least... I'm going to pay close attention to his game since the package is very enticing but raw currently. So bit off the board pick but one that could have real upside. And right after that selection it was time for another Slovakian to go on stage. And surprise surprise the Habs were on the clock again and selected highly skilled winger Filip Mesar with their 26th pick. One of Slavkovsky's best buddies was more than ecstatic when he realized that he was going to become teammates with the first overall pick, and rightfully so, since they've been Batman and Robin for the Slovakian junior national teams, and thus, some kind of chemistry building was behind this pick, without a doubt. We'll see if they end up playing on the same line at the NHL level at some point, but just like the previous Hawks pick, 
Mesar needs some development on multiple fronts before making his jump to the North American ice, so we will keep tabs on him before he makes his move across the Atlantic Ocean. At 27, the Sharks were finally ready to take their first player of the draft and decided to really go off the board with their pick as they selected Swedish centerman Philip Bysted at the back half of the first round. The consensus was that he was going to get selected early on during the second day of the draft, but seemingly the Sharks had seen something they really liked and felt that he was worth a first round pick, but we'll see if this selection pays out for them since according to many reports, scouts were questioning his upside on the next level throughout the season, so rather than investing in potential, they invested in the probability of him becoming an NHL player, but if you check out the Swedes selected in the first round through the past couple of years, you probably noticed that there haven't been many that have straight up failed, so at least that's going for them. But we will see how this thing turns out for them in just few short years. So let's leave it at that for now. The 28th pick belonged to Buffalo, and once again the draft strategy was in full effect as they drafted the Czech centerman Yuri Kulic with their pick they got from Florida as a part of the Sam Reinhardt trade. I really like this pick for the Sabres since Kulic was lights out for the Czechs in the U18s and his combination of speed, skill and goal scoring ability was something that stood out during that tournament. And even though he will most likely play the wing for the Sabres on the next level, this was still one of my favorite picks of the draft and so the Sabres pipeline keeps on growing and soon they are going to face challenges to only fit these players into the roster because there is a whole line of prospects waiting for their chance to break into the NHL ice. And if the Coolidge pick was one of the safer ones at the end of the first round, the pick following it was way beyond that because the Yotes were on the clock again, and with their last pick of the first round, they selected huge right-handed defenseman Maverick Lamoureux out of QMJHL. And quite honestly, this pick left me scratching my head yet again, since he was projected to go somewhere in the second round, but probably the huge frame enticed the Yotes to draft this giant defenseman, for their pipeline but just when looking at the possible defensive options still on the table in my mind you could have done so much better with this pick but who am I to say anything to a team that has had subpar drafts throughout the 2010s and thus are still in the ground floor of the NHL. For sure one of the wildest picks of the first round and I'm extremely eager to see if this pick went to waste when looking at the names who were still on the board at that time. Moving on, and finally at 30, it was Brad Lambert's turn to get selected as the Winnipeg Jets took him with the pick they got from the Rangers in the Andrew Cobb trade. And I'm still pretty convinced that this pick will become one of the more valuable selections of this draft. And of course, you have your right to disagree with that take. During the draft, I was fully convinced that he was going to fall down to the second round like Aturatu did last year. But seemingly at least the Jets had taken notice to that and were not willing to pass on this guy based on his inconsistencies. Especially after the Yotes pick, this seems like a home run to me, but until he really proves the scouts and the management teams wrong, he will carry this boss label and I'm fairly convinced that the noise around the league will change its tone once this guy gets out of this mental cage. We'll see if that happens already next season, but at least I'm fairly bullish about this future regarding time on the NHL ice. The penultimate pick of the first day belonged to Tampa Bay Lightning, and with their only first-round selection, they selected the best-dressed man of the draft, scoring winger 
Isaac Howard. Breakdown. Good skater with natural goal scorer's instincts and man rocket status of ISO. What more can you ask for from a first round pick? I was surprised to see him dropping this far in the rankings, so somehow yet again the Bolts were able to grab a steal with a late first rounder, but that's just how they operate, so can't really blame them for cherry picking at the draft table. And with the last pick of the first day, the Edmonton Oilers once again went bit off the board as they selected two-way winger with NHL frame Reed Schaefer from the Seattle Thunderbirds. Another guy who was projected to be available in the second round got picked and I totally get that the Oilers management probably got sold because of his almost NHL frame, but still in my mind they left a lot of skill on the table. But overall most of the guys selected during the first day were at the top end of multiple draft rankings and we didn't see any big time surprises and a few reaches are bound each year so don't think that I wasn't anticipating those to happen but more so wanted to point them out from rest of the crowd. Next before we end this episode I'm just going to quickly go over my favorite picks of the two days of drafting since there were lots of intriguing names still on the board when the name calling started on the next day so few more minutes and then we will package this episode for the day. Jagger Fergus ended up falling to the second round but the Kraken once again was there to pick out the leftovers and took him 35th overall. Ryan Chesley as well fell to Washington's lap and they used their 37th pick to draft the right-handed shutdown defenseman with the pick they caught in the Vanacek deal. Topias Leinonen, the Finnish netminder, went 41st overall as the first cold center selected, which to me was a bit of a reach, but the Sabres just seemingly have two options when it comes to drafting prospects, and those are pick a centerman or a goaltender, so the defenseman probably comes somewhere else for them, or they just convert a surplus centers to the blue line. I don't even fucking know at this point. No, but yeah, they already cut Power and Darlene in their back end, so... That should do the trick. I totally forgot. Matthias Havelid was selected 45th overall by the Sharks and even though he has lots of work to do before stepping into NHL, there are certain traits in his game that really intrigue me so one of the steel candidates of the second round. And right after Havelid, the Devils bolstered their back end even more by drafting Seamus Casey 46th overall and to me it was surprising to see Casey dropping so far of the first round since he is one of the more dynamic offensive defensemen of this draft. The size probably dropped his stock quite a bit, but if he keeps improving, he will be one of the bigger steals of this draft, hands down. Christian Cairo was the next name that I wanted to mention since he climbed the rankings since the start of the season and became part of the Stars prospect pool, as he got selected 50th overall, and holds pretty strong intangibles which could lead to a top 4 role on the next level if everything goes to plan for the slick-footed blue liner out of Erie. Few picks later, Detroit made a splash as they drafted undersized but highly skilled goal scorer out of Russia by the name of Dmitry Buchelnikov with their second round selection. High upside winger with nasty shot was someone who was expected to drop in the rankings because of Russian factor as well as his smaller stature but that didn't stop Iserman from drafting him and once again has steel written all over him and at least I got some Artemi Panarin vibes from this guy because of his sleek stick handling and handedness, the only difference being that he's more of a goal scorer than what Panarin is. Elias Salomonson fell to the Jets and Klepp Trigosov ended up falling to Carolina at the end of the second round. 
and both of these guys have some flaws in their game but with right coaching these two young beasts could turn into massive assets on the next level so now they just need the right development in order for that to happen. Seattle gets another steal with their 61st overall pick as they selected David Goyette from Sudbury Wolves. 62nd pick of the draft belonged to Montreal and to my delight they selected the undersized blue liner Lane Hudson with that pick and I'm a huge fan of his so I'm excited to see him developing as one of our top prospects. He has all the skills necessary to make it to the NHL and is the highest scoring defenseman in the NTDP history but for many his size is his biggest downfall which most likely saw him drop to late second round but I ain't complaining for having him in our system. And the last two picks of the second round by Ottawa and the Islanders were pretty solid ones in my opinion since first the Sens took big Swedish defenseman Philip Norberg with their pick and then to close out the second round the Isles picked another Swede who ended up falling down the draft order and his name is Kalle Odelius. Then we move to the third round where the first steal candidates were Ty Nelson picked by Seattle at 68, Alexander Peravalov 71st pick by the Canes, Michael Fisher 76 overall by the Sharks, Adam Ingram 82nd overall by the Breds, Lucas Edmonds an overager 86 pick by the Bolts, Michael Butchinger 88 pick by the Blues, Adam Engstrom 92nd overall by the Habs, Nicholas Muldenauer 95th pick by the Leafs, and to close out the round we have Jordan Dumay who has long road ahead of him to the NHL and the signs are there which might prevent his NHL dream but one of the more entertaining players of the draft class was selected by the Blue Jackets and in my mind they could have done a lot worse with their late third round pick. From the later rounds the biggest deal candidates were Simon Forsmark Carolina's first fourth round pick, Tyler Brennan 102nd pick by the Devils, Mats Lindgren 106th pick by the Sabres. Well would you look at that they do draft defensemen. Dennis Hildeby, overager drafted 122nd overall by the Leafs, Sergei Ivanov 138th pick by the Jackets, Otto Salin 148th by the Kings, and to close out the prospect sweep we have a goaltender that stood out in Liga last season and his name is Nick Malik who was selected 160th overall by the Bolts. I could have named many other guys that were good value picks after the first round but I saw that this episode was going to be long enough without me rambling too much about these young bucks so I decided to spare you from that one and just focus on the main guys that I will keep my eye on for the foreseeable future. We saw lots of action during these two days so the NHL fans were surely entertained and lots of drama is surely inbound as we head further into the offseason. Since teams are fighting with tight cap situations and there is still a plethora of good free agents available so you can expect to see some changes within the next few upcoming weeks. So don't think that the action is going to end quite the opposite. This episode ended up becoming longer than I expected but once I start to go through the trades and the draft picks you already know that the time will fly by so it shouldn't surprise you at this point one bit. Hopefully though you enjoyed, for me the start of the offseason is always a hectic time but I enjoy it and next time we are going to continue this stretch as we go through the free agent signings that have gone down so far and maybe go through the trades that happened between these two episodes. 
But this is going to be it for today. Thank you so much for listening. You are an absolute warrior for sticking with me until the end. Remember to press the follow button and turn on the notifications so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And go check out the podcast IG page where I upload sneak peeks for the upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week. So stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.